Welcome to this week's episode of Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland. He's Anthony Smith. That's me. That's him. Uh, and this is the show where we talk about the ongoing freight economy and how it merges with the overall global economic situation. Obviously, we are still amidst a very strong economic boom. Is that right, Anthony? Or we, would you call it a boom? It's a strong recovery, for okay. sure. And the consumer's in a good place. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the freight economy has been booming. Yeah. Uh, except for the maybe the flatbed industrial side, which is now booming. Booming. We booming. hit that all-time high on the FOTRI. Yeah. My favorite Your favorite index, the flatbed outbound tender rejection index, hitting that thirty percent uh, mark for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. That's nothing to sneeze at. I feel no. like I feel like we can call the freight market a booming sector at this point. Yeah, and it's one of those age-old things that we always talk about when we're looking at. The economy, the macroeconomy versus what's going on within the freight world or the freight economy, such a big part of the overall economy, and it facilitates what's going on in the macro actual economy. But the two don't always move in unison. So we always talk about it. I mean, you look at the GDP number, a lot of people, even a lot of economists kind of question how important is the GDP really talking about how the state of the macroeconomy, but the effects of really measuring GDP as to what's going on within freight or transportation. Right. It's long gone. Yeah. I mean, we just saw it real time. We always talked about it before the pandemic, but we saw it real time. Mm-hmm. Freight capacity just tight as could be. Record volumes just hitting the roads. And while we were in the middle of a pretty significant recession, although it was kind of induced by, you know, uh, not financial situations or anything like that, but more so a pandemic, it still kind of showed that you can have freight market growth and expansion despite, you know, some type of contraction on a macroeconomic level. Yeah, it's not always straightforward. Uh, things move at different rates a lot of times, and we've seen that a lot, especially over the last year. So th- today's show's topic is going to be the economics of growth. Now, uh, that's kind of a generic topic, but really the Knight Swift, AAA Cooper uh, merger, acquisition, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, this, this kind of is something I think that's it's creative. Uh, we're going to dive into that in more deep and deeper detail. Uh, but what this is kind of something that I think is going to be endemic of how do we view capacity growth? Like really everybody thinks as a large carrier, a large provider, you go out and you acquire assets, you, you know, as a a truckload carrier, you're buying trucks, but those trucks aren't available right now. You're going to have the 16 month lead time on your order fulfillment, uh, you know, and then going out and acquiring another company seems to be a quick band-aid on it because a lot of these trucking companies, uh, as strange enough as it is, are flush with cash, yeah. <laughs> uh, historically speaking. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail and how, you know, the, is capacity going to come back online? Are we, or is this just really the way that some of these companies are going to also mitigate their way uh, if we do see that supply side come back? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I, I think that's what a lot of people that were around in 2018 are waiting on <laughs> like when does that supply side come back these companies can't just sit on all this cash so we'll get into that in more deeper detail and you are you monitoring linkedin i am monitoring linkedin and facebook as well so if you are watching and you're not on our tv app but you're on linkedin for some reason should be on our tv app there's a lot more on-demand stuff there if you want to catch up on anything but if you're on linkedin for sure feel free to shout out I am monitoring that chat section. So if you want to, if you have a quick question for myself, for Zach, 
or maybe Z2 if he makes an appearance later on today. Feel sure, oh, for sure, uh, fill it out there. I'll, you know, I'm also going to pull up Facebook because we're streaming there as well. Yeah. So if you're on either one, if you're watching at 12 Eastern Standard Time on <laughs> Thursday, we are streaming. So be sure to, uh, yeah, jump in that chat section. Yeah, yeah, and Zach Rogers coming on the show today to help us dive through some of this uh, economics of growth situation as well. So he'll be on a little bit later, but let's get things started. Let's get loosened up, as I like to call it. You know, this is the warm-up section with some memes. Meme-onomics. Meme-onomics, yeah. So I think if you've been watching the show, listening to the show, you know I, I love memes. Uh, this is, I think, endemic in society now. Um, but I love how relatable we are, we are. Let's pull up the first one. Uh, I think this applies to you, Anthony, pretty well. Um, <laughs> the you know Woody Harrelson <laughs> sitting there, you know, crying, and then you see this money covering his face, basically implying that he's probably not really that sad yeah. <laughs> because he's got all this money. But lumber companies talking about their supply chain difficulties right now. This is this is kind of that uh, you know dichotomy of yeah, things are hard, but. We got a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it almost kind of reminds me of first world problems. Yes, yes. In a sense, like the same Thank energy, you. essentially. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> that is, this is exactly what this is. First world problem meme. Uh, you know, yeah, we're having a lot of struggles. Things are hard, but you know what? End result is lots of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other big thing, you know, I know this is memeonomics. I have to break it down a little bit more into the economics of it all. Because what's going on with these lumber companies, a lot of people are always asking, like, why don't they just build more mills? Why don't they just put more facilities in place so they can produce more lumber? It takes a lot of time, a lot of capital, a lot of resources. And before any kind of lumber company would say, hey, we're going to have a new mill opening up in North America for some reason instead of South America, because there's a lot. I'm not going to get into the lumber <laughs> economy right now, but in North America for some reason. And that's going to be tens, if not maybe even sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars invested into infrastructure to put up these facilities and then all the cash that goes. So it's a long-term thing mm -hmm. for what might be a near-term issue. So likely is going to be a near-term issue. So by and the time they put it up, it's going to be too late. They already missed the boat. And that uh, is exactly why we're what we're going to talk about on today's show is yeah. are the, you know, I think some of the Things that are going on right now are very short-term, short-sighted. We don't know what's going to happen here in a year. Will the economy settle down? Will people start spending, stop spending money on durable goods? Will they go back to work, <laughs> um, et cetera? So let's pull up the next uh, meme here. This is one of the classic movies of all time, Count uh, Rugen from Princess Bride. I've just sucked one year of your life away. Never seen it. Oh, my gosh. This is... <laughs> can we end the show now? Can we just, I can't, we need to Never go watch. Seen it. Yeah. So nobody blank, my bathroom remodel. <laughs> I just sucked one year of your life away. That's essentially, th this is relevant in the way that we saw this home improvement boom. Mm. You know, we just talked about lumber and now it's more on the commercial side than the residential side, but the, everybody went out and remodeled their house in 2020. Um, my curiosity here is, <clears throat> Did it take a year for them to rebuild this? Are there still ongoing projects that they're going to continuously purchase? Uh, they're going to go to run to Lowe's and Home Depot's and Aces and, and all that. Are they going to do, continue to do that at, at such a pace? And if not, what are, are they going to replace it? Yeah. There's so much energy in that sector that is still carrying forward. Uh, you know, did they finish their jobs? Are they done with it? Did they? And do they feel like in that meme? Yeah. 
one year of my life has been sucked away. Now I'm exhausted and there's going to be a dip in that sector. What do you think? I want like this, I don't know, kind of sci-fi music where like I'm about to like go into like a rabbit hole and I just kind of stare off into the distance because I'm thinking there is going to be that thing because first off, if I were doing a bathroom remodel, it would take me maybe about five years. Right. Because I'm not very handy myself. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, I think there's going to be more projects coming on, if not by retail consumers. I think a lot of contractors are going to be very busy because uh, we're seeing point. a ton of people buy these homes marked up well above asking and they're foregoing any type of inspection. So I think there's a lot of sh like houses going for sale right now that have a lot of shoddy work done or no work done at all. And they're just like, you know what, we'll take care of it later. Mm -hmm. Later's going to come very soon. And all those inspections that's being passed up, I think it's going to come to fruition for a lot of people. And it's not going to be pretty. And I like, I like your hot take there. Uh, so, yeah. you know, and that's extremely relevant to, to the question. Uh, you know, when we're talking about those remodels and stuff like that, I know myself back in the day would get into stuff and not finish it because it would get overly complicated. I would obviously bite off more than I could chew and it would just last and linger and then eventually it'd be like you know what i'm gonna do more harm than good i'm gonna hire somebody clean this mess up yeah do it right um because now I, and again a lot of these people going back to work back to the office they're it's it's not it's not something they're going to want to do on the weekend anymore <laughs> yeah i mean like i'm like hey that was so 2020 like, yeah <laughs> i or maybe there are going to be new hobbyists now that yeah. are now born new millennials that are just saying or gen zers that are house home buyers are they old enough to buy houses i don't know but <laughs> yes, there's yes, going to be a are, lot of, they can't afford them. They can't afford them. No, who can? Yeah. Who can? Who so can? And that's that the other thing. It's going to be people being priced out of the housing market right now. Oh, oh. Did you take a peek at the debate anomics? Coming up later. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Tease that one out. Uh, end of the show. So let's pull up our news, our stories of the day. News anomics. This is huge. Right. News? Oh, yeah. No. This is, this is a big story. So we're dedicating, well, we're going to, hit a big story, the Night Swift story, obviously we're going to cover that. But first up, I think we got to talk about, again, a very relevant uh, topic, truck orders. Alan Adler covering this. Uh, basically, June orders take a, or Class A truck orders take a June vacation, but still robust. So people are still ordering equipment, knowing the lead times are extended. It's not going to be till 2022. He covers, you know, he interviews uh, a few people from FTR in the article. Uh, stating how they don't think that there's going to be a large amount of supply come online this year. However, people did order those trucks and they will come due eventually, uh, you know, pending cancellations and, and whatnot. But if it does linger and we do hold on to those orders into 2022, there will be a huge amount of capacity coming online at some point. May not be 2021. It looks like 2019 all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Oversupply. Uh, but yeah, and the fact they're still ordering them, and we've seen a few sequential declines before this month. They did increase uh, in June. However, it was not as strong as it has been. That's kind of the point of the article. But the fact that people are still ordering equipment higher than year-over-year -year levels, you know, that does indicate that we're still going to see. There's still some optimism there that you're going to have these trucks come online and be able to attain market share in the yeah. future. And I feel like this is essentially... The theme for the show, I know we have a different title, but it's almost like the theme of the show is long-term solutions for near-term problems. And it's kind of repeating itself and reiterating itself. Let's rename the segment. show. 
Rename the show. It's long-term <laughs> solutions for near-term problems, but they're not all that way. They're not all that way. Yeah. But it's, it's funny because we see these movements that kind of swing back and forth. And this is with almost anything. We're seeing it in all facets of the economy. We're seeing it with employment right now. Employment's hot, but it's going to swing the other way into the hands of the employers. Now we're seeing, you know, all these orders come online, like I said, could be 2019 all over again, because a lot of times we see there's no supply, there's no supply, there's no capacity, there's no capacity. Now there's a ton of capacity and mm -hmm. rates are low. We see it through all aspects of freight and freight tech. When the, the market is just hot, all these freight tech firms kind of start entering more technology, which is great. It's amazing. We're seeing a lot of innovation within the industry. But then when it kind of dries up a little bit, we see what's really innovative kind of rise to the top and stick around. While when this is so busy, there's so much going on, so much activity, anyone can kind of just kind of get a leg in the door and just kind of get some momentum going. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. The, uh, it's, it's a very interesting time because yeah. we're, we're, we're prisoners of the moment. We're all prisoners of the moment to an extent. You have to be. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is, and things are very cloudy in the future. You never know what tomorrow brings, et cetera. All the cliches you can throw <laughs> at you. Uh, but there is some strategy involved with that long-term thing. We're a very yeah. short-term uh, society here in America. You That's know, right. We're, yeah. very, we're very set up. Even our politicians, they get two years, four-year terms, not a long length of time to make your impact. So that leads to a lot of quick, and of course, social media, instantaneous, <laughs> instant gratification, et cetera. It, it pervades our society, whether we think it does or not. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the other big thing. Like you just mentioned a great point about politicians. Not going to get into politics, but really when we're seeing things that come into play now, mm -hmm. it's a lot of times there were policies that were set in place years ago. Right. And so now we're seeing it kind of play out in real time because a lot of times we'll see policies that might get lost in the minutia of what is government and all that stuff. Now, get lost for like maybe one year, two years, three years, year four or five, we kind of see it come into the market into play. And even then, businesses have already kind of positioned themselves to not be as impacted and kind of still keep moving as business as usual. Right. But the other big thing is a lot of times there's unintended consequences <laughs> right. behind all these poly policy changes. Look at any kind of policy that happens in California. I mean, there's always those unintended consequences. So Yeah. Exactly. California being a hot topic all the time. Yeah. Um, so we got to hit we got to hit the story of the week. Uh, Night Swift purchasing AAA Cooper, an LTL provider uh, in the Southwest Midwest. Night Swift, of course, the largest for hire carrier in the United States by just sheer volume assets. The huge merger in 2016 uh, took place there. And, you know, a lot of positive vibes here uh, from you know various sources. I, however, have a little slight, I have a slightly different take here. You know, if you read this article, Todd Maiden does a wonderful job covering the story in a few articles. Uh, and then we also, uh, myself included, was included in a hot take article. I like those. <laughs> Makes you, puts you into a position where, you know, Craig Fuller, our CEO, uh, obviously has, a, has an opinion on it, as well as Todd, uh, the Dooner, uh, and, and, a, and a few others in there putting their opinions. Now, uh, my question here, like, Having been in the LTL space and worked in the, the umbrella of a large asset-based truckload provider, I, you know, I'm not quite as optimistic about this acquisition. Um, on paper, uh, you know, they're saying, you know, CEO David Jackson said the criteria for selecting the LTL company as a partner included its significant market share, profitability, makeup, 
and a management team that could operate independently. Cool. Uh, yeah, all good things. Mm-hmm. So why do they need you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we also see benefits on driver recruitment, retention. So they're basically saying they can now offer a career path to some of their drivers that is a little bit more dedicated because LTL drivers tend to get home a lot more often. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good angle. That's that's valid reasoning, although I don't think that's going to make a huge impact on their driver recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not a huge chunk there. Um, and, of course, um, they're saying that they think that they can bring in, this is where I really kind of diverge uh, from, I think, popular opinion, is they think they can make a positive impact on the OR of AAA Cooper uh, because of their past success with their merger with Knights or with Swift. Um, LTL is a completely different animal from truckload. Uh, it doesn't have, it has barely any synergy whatsoever. Uh, LTL networks are hub and spoke, a lot of P and D, a lot of local haul runs, pallets, not 53 foot trailers. Yeah. Their networks have truckload in them and they do have some uh, seasonal influence. Truckload is, is tied to it inherently, but when you merge the two operations, they are very parasitic to each other. Uh, One way that they're parasitic is that if, say, Knight Swift offers their truckloads as line hauls between AAA Cooper's hubs, well, do they charge them the same market rate that they would charge everyone else and give AAA Cooper a discount? Mm -hmm. That hurts Knight Swift. Or do they, you know, charge them a, a premium which now hurts AAA Cooper <laughs> yeah. and their OR. And, and, and this is the kind of give and take, uh, you know, that I don't think a lot of people are, are aware of. Uh, the synergies, uh, you know, especially in terms of infrastructure, you've got an operating system for AAA Cooper, you know, infrastructure that's already there, very different from a truckload operating system. It has to be different by nature because there's a lot more moving pieces in LTL. These two people are gonna speak totally different languages, they're not going to be able to integrate quickly. Their mm-hmm. balance sheets are going to look very different. <laughs> Their financial terms are going to be extremely different, income statements, uh, as they have different general ledgers and whatnot. So this is not going to be a quick situation, yeah. is what I'm saying. And maybe they will improve it. But to me, as an operator, I'm very uh, hesitant to think that this is going to be uh, that beneficial to either uh, uh, operating entity. Mm-hmm. On the financial side, however, it makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Night Swift flush with cash, tons of money. They can't buy enough trucks. Mm-hmm. Trucks aren't going to get there anyway. And to our point with the previous article, if they start buying trucks now, they're not getting here until late 2022 at best. Yeah. Um, by then, the market may have turned. So great way to grow without having to wait, buy another company. And now their investors are happy. They're going to see their stock price increase more than likely. Uh, and also LTL is a great way to mitigate your exposure to the truckload fluctuations, which are much more volatile than LTL. Yeah. Um, so financially speaking, not a, bad, uh, not a bad purchase whatsoever. Operationally speaking, I don't think it's, it's going to make much of a difference unless they remain relatively separate entities. And that's going to be a big thing, mm-hmm. them remaining, I think, relatively separate entities. And this is actually one of the First topics that early on within Freightonomics history, when we kind of talked about, you know, our rundown of breaking down freight and economics, what is LTL? We have a great episode on that that you helped really kind of lay it all out there for us. And so looking at that, I think there's a few things that you point out that are great points. And first off, them speaking completely different languages yeah, and two completely different business models. I think when you look at any kind of merger and acquisition, 
you have to look at how they integrate with each other. It's not just a bolt-on company in a sense, unless, like you said, it's just a completely different thing and it's just only on paper that we're under the same company. But that's one of the biggest things with any kind of merger and acquisition is some of the, the softer things, the, the cultural mm -hmm. things. Like you said, even business operations, but even culture, how you talk, what's important, your priority, whatever it might be, those cultural differences at this scale is going to be something significant to have to really kind of take into consideration. And I think the other big thing that I've seen in my history as a consultant, mm -hmm. one of those pesky consultants back in the day, <laughs> we all have our past anyways, <laughs> but back in my consulting days, it was common for me to like either work with maybe a larger corporation, not going to name any names, but sometimes a larger corporation might acquire another company, like you said, for the financials. Right. They could be having a little bit of a slow quarter, a slow year maybe, they acquire another company, things just kind of perk right back up, things start to die down a little bit, it's time to acquire another company again and just kind of keep growing, keep growing, showing it on paper, showing it by the financials. And so that's definitely been one of those things that we've seen, that I've seen for sure. Um, firsthand with working with certain clients in, in, in my past. But so like you said, on paper, financially, it does make sense. But really internally, how it's going to work, how it's going to mm -hmm. piece together, that's going to be difficult. And yeah. I don't really see others following suit. There's not a lot of truckload carriers buying LTL. We saw Schneider buy Watkins back in the day. We see how that worked out. Now they were taking a little different angle, thinking that Watkins was essentially a final mile provider. They hauled a lot of furniture already had some level of a network set up to be, but LTL and Final Mile are not the same thing whatsoever. And their networks do not align, their interests do not align at all. Um, Estes has got a, a division uh, dedicated to it. XPO, of course, big Final Mile provider, but they, they keep those units separate from LTL. They are not considered LTL whatsoever. These are, Final Mile tends to be oddly dimmed freight, furniture, large appliances, et cetera. This is the stuff that LTL carriers hate. They like square yeah. pallets. So, uh, you know, that didn't work out well. You're not seeing a lot of people going out and buying privately held uh, LTL providers. And there's a reason for it, especially in the truckload space. So um, I, I think, you know, the takeaway here is obviously we're going to wait and see if Night Swift has, you know, the same magic. I personally, I will believe it when I see it. Uh, and again, financially, we may never know the difference. Uh, if they decide to leave AAA Cooper alone and let them run and basically be a, you know, a kind of a, another stock in their portfolio of offerings that, you know, remains independent, which I think will almost have to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day I worked LTL uh, and also was under the uh, umbrella of a large truckload provider. They eventually were just like, you know what? We're good. Yeah. <laughs> they did help us out a good bit, some customer exposure and things like that. And we did trade some accounts here and there. But uh, largely, after the initial kind of swap, there wasn't much interaction, interaction synergy whatsoever. It's kind of like, we're good. And, and Night Swift may be okay with that too. And yeah. that, that's okay, especially since they're probably getting a lot of pressure uh, to grow and spend that Use money. Use some of that cash. Yeah. So before we move on to our, our, our next segment, uh, quick comment here from Rick Larkin, president at BCB Transport LLC. Thanks for joining the chat. He says, how many of these new trucks replacements are for older fleet? A belief is that they this will increase capacity, but more to independent contractors as they buy up used equipment to enter the market. 
Yeah, I think the used market is already gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we've seen that. There's no used trucks available. You can't find them. And that's even kind of been a thing in 2019 as well, right? Yeah. With kind of ELDs and stuff like that. And Yeah, I, I mean, and the thing is, is like capacity is going to grow. But yeah. There's too much money right now for it not to grow. There's a certain, there's an argument over how much percentage of this is replenishment. Well, a bulk of that got taken care of last year. Uh, once all these carriers had a few months of cash, started buying up, uh, you know, some new trucks to make sure their maintenance cycles are taken care of. They're still largely, they're going to see those replenishment orders coming due here in the next few months. But the bulk of those orders is probably not replenishment. We just had a soft 2019. So you can assume that we extended some life cycles of a few uh, tractors out there. But those numbers are too big to be pure replenishment. I would say you could probably, you know, roughly... 20 to 30% to of those are replenishment. The rest of them, people are trying to grow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, won't, they, won't, they won't sit on them. And that's yet to be seen. Right. Well, we have our, of course, whatonomics. But right before we jump into our whatonomics and, of course, Z2 um, coming up, got to give a quick econ ting update mm -hmm. about one of the latest releases. Of course, it came out just this morning. We have initial jobless claims. And we saw a slight edge up in it, Zach, um, a slight increase, a low tick up from another pandemic low. So it's now just over 370,000 individuals that just recently applied for more initial jobless claims. So wow. it's a slight edge up by just 2,000 applicants. Um, there, so is there noise in that? There is noise. Okay. So we see revisions all the time. Yeah. That's always where kind of my skepticism from time to time mm -hmm. in the past comes in. But when we're looking at it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at it a little bit more optimistic this time around. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, okay, glass half full. This is still near a pandemic low. Other outlets are also showing, you know, increase in job openings, 9.2, 9.3 million in the most recent report. Um, we're seeing that consumers are still confident. Um, it's just also going to be a state-by-state -state basis. So if we have other states like uh, Idaho, that's going to be far different than, right. uh, you know, California, California, <laughs> New York, uh, which is going to be vastly different from New Hampshire mm -hmm. or Vermont. So looking at a state by state basis um, is going to be a big thing. Then, of course, industry by industry. One of the big things we're talking about freight was now manufacturing going to be one of those huge areas, of course, that's going to need a lot of employers or employees entering the space, of course, construction, upstream, downstream uh, retailers and things like that. But had to give a quick econ update about one of the most recent releases as of this and it morning. is it is extremely uh, important as people are looking for workers uh, and they're still filing unemployment. <laughs> yeah, and 25 <laughs> states have now ended or rolled out those uh, bonuses. Bonus for, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's crazy. Well, let's hit up Watonomics and bring uh, the glorious Doctor Z on here in a minute. So. This week's chart, or whatonomics, or stat, is our LTL contract initial reporting of average base rate per 100 miles, or 100 pounds. <laughs> Sorry. So this, this chart right here is basically the average invoiced rate of LTL across the country, the United States. So uh, anybody that's worked in LTL before knows that all of the rates are in rates per 100 pounds. That's 100 weight. Uh, and that's what this is represented in. This can be uh, things that are not very dense have a high rate per hundred weight. Things that are very dense have a low rate per hundred weight in general. And that is divided into classes and accounted for uh, thoroughly. But this is the average of all of those things together. So what you see there when you see those spikes in this index, uh, we could have had a huge spike in low, dense, low density freight. You know, 
pillows, feathers. They have to charge more per hundred pounds because they take up a lot of room and they don't have a lot of weight to them. So very light stuff. And that's what happens at time to time. But the takeaway to this and the big use case, if you have been in the LTL industry, and this is probably a reason that Knight Swift purchased AAA Cooper. Mm. You see this nice kind of even trend line here. Uh, it's kind of muted by the scale because yeah. of that spike, but there's a 20% jump in average rate per hundred weight over the last 12 months. Um, that means they've had a lot of success taking on increases, just like the truckload providers, but much more even. When you take an increase in LTL, it does not come back down, gotcha. at least not rapidly. Yeah. The only way it comes back down is through bids and a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, this is, it hedges truckload carrier, the truckload uh, provider, Knight Swift in this situation, from uh, any kind of sharp changes in market, you know, gotcha. especially in pricing. Uh, LTL tends to be a little bit more consistent, it's guaranteed capacity, guaranteed, uh, you know, rates. It's, it's very different from the truckload space where they decline lows. We talk about our tender rejection rate. So looking at this year over year, extremely useful when we're talking about, uh, you know, pricing changes. And LTL providers take general rate increases every year. They need to know what kind of odds of success they have. They look at this index right here because if everyone's taking rate increases, they can be confident that right. they're going to have a successful GRI or general rate increase year over year. Uh, and trends in LTL, of course, very connected to the truckload space as well. A little bit more evened out, a little bit more uh, smooth transition, however. There you have it. There you have Today's it. Whatonomics. Whatonomics, the LTL average base rate per 100 pounds. <laughs> Check it out. Sonar users obviously uh, are familiar with this at this point, but it is interesting to the other spaces as well. And now the truckload providers like Knight Swift, but let's bring on Dr. Zach Rogers. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Good man, how are you? It's been a while. I'm well, I mean, I, I I just got done screaming at the computer about your incorrect night swift stuff, but other than that, I'm, I'm having a great <laughs> great. That's I, good morning. For. I love it. I love it. No, man, this you, is you're you're losing the forest for the trees. But yes, <laughs> it will be there's some differences. But if you look at LTL truckload, I mean UPS just got rid of their truckload segment because they don't need it anymore, right? It was what three, four billion for them last year out of 84 billion i mean they, they you know they got rid of their ltl ltl and, and parcel i mean that's 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 the direction we got to go in right well no they got rid of their ltl segment uh that's who they sold off to ups uh, tfi yeah because they couldn't no. they, they yeah they uh they had trouble merging them parcel. parcel and ltl are as different as truckload and ltl <laughs> all right whatever <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still disagree <laughs> i know i love i love the disagreement that's I, I like to have uh some level of discourse on the show i mean that's why that's why i picked this for you i picked this for you <laughs> i was hoping that you would uh you would prove me wrong or tell me why this is different so well, we're gonna get to it we're gonna i got other i got other stuff <laughs> let's well let's let's kick off with one yeah let's kick it off then with uh you know you you've got the lmi this month like what's our yeah. What's our what's our latest readings on the LMI? Are we are we entering a new phase of this cycle <laughs> yet, or have we so, not yet crossed? Well, there's some hope on the horizon, uh, but you know it it may be a a, a night as dark as before the dawn situation. Actually, <laughs> I, I think before we get there, so we're at a, we're at a 75 uh, for this month, and and you know longtime viewers will remember, but but for anyone new to the show, uh, any number over 50 indicates growth any number below 50 indicates contraction okay so 75 it's our second highest number we've ever had for the overall index um and that's a really 
a kind of extreme rate of, of growth. And really, it's, it's to the point where I think you got to look at the, the cumulative effect. So if we look at the last three months, 75, 74, and like a 72. So the average, uh, the average overall LMI for Q2 of 2021, what we just got through with, it's our highest quarter ever. Uh, for this index, even more than than you know Q4, Q3 last year. So the the biggest moves we've ever had have been in the last quarter. And I think you could talk to people you know around the country, and they would tell you, yeah, that that, that sounds that checks out. That sounds like it might be right. Right. And a lot of it is is driven by high cost in inventory and warehousing. We we read the highest costs for both warehousing and inventory that we've ever had in the five years we've been doing this. And it's interesting with inventory. You know, normally inventory levels. And inventory prices, inventory costs, they sort of move together. And right now, there's like a 20-point difference between those two metrics. Uh, it's a 69 for, for inventory levels, 89 for, for inventory price. So Jeez. what that indicates, basically, <laughs> is that we have a lot of inventory on hand, but it's moving very, very quickly. Right? Okay. The volume, the, the turnover is really high. So we have high volume and high velocity, and that's compounded by the total lack of capacity we have in the system. Uh, you know, warehouse capacity has been going down essentially since March of 2020. We had one month where we got up to 50. Hey, look, you guys got my picture. Uh, we have, we have one, one month where we get to 50.5. So, you know, we have, you know, this much growth, but really that's breaking even. And then that, that gray line there, transportation capacity, has been contracting since, uh, since last, last June. So we now have more than a year of, of contraction for, for both of those metrics. And what that's doing it, basically we're, we're overwhelmed by the amount of inventory moving through the system. And I think a really illuminating statistic, you know, the, the Federal Reserve puts out retail inventory to sales ratios. And the, the most recent data, uh, the most recent data is uh, from April of 2021. And in April, 2021, uh, re, uh, inventory to sales ratio was 1.07, which is the lowest that number has been since they've started tracking that back in like early 90s. A year ago, a year, April 2020, that number was 1.67, which was the highest it had been since like right. 1995. <laughs> and so in a year, we went down by 0.6. I mean, 0.6 might not sound like a lot, but when the highest you've ever been is 1.7, 0.6 is a, a pretty big jump. And so, and there's some industries like autos, where that number right now is a 0.76, meaning that for every every sale they have, they only have 0.76 units of inventory. That's probably not a sustainable number, well, right? It's, yeah, it's they have a three quarters of a month worth of inventory on hand for the month, <laughs> so they're they're undersupplied by 25. Absolutely, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. It, it's not just the full stuff, right? It's it's because there's there's certain components missing, which right. is by the way affecting affecting your friend Zach. You know, I uh, uh, I went to the mechanic yesterday because my air conditioner is not working and the hose I need won't be here for like four weeks. So it's, uh, if, and if anybody was wondering if July and August was a great time to not have air conditioning, no, no, it's not. So, um, so it's, so, you know, these supply chain problems are really starting to hit home for me. Um, and so we see these, these really high rates of, of movement and it's just compounding costs like crazy. If you put together, um, inventory costs, Warehouse prices, both, by the way, which I said are growing at the fastest rates we've ever had. And then transportation prices, which are growing at, you know, high 80s, which is still really, really fast. Um, but transportation moves a little bit more. But if you put those three together, it's our highest cumulative logistics costs that, that we've seen 
essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so right now, I think there's a chance that we're, you know, if we're talking seasonally adjusted costs, Mm -hmm. we've got to be getting close to the, to the top of this. Um, Now the the total cost will probably go up in Q4 seasonally adjusted though. I I think there's some wiggle room there. Um, But I do think based on some, some other stuff we can talk about in a minute, I do think that we are starting to see some signs of capacity maybe coming in on the horizon. So, Zach, one of the things, or Z1, <laughs> one of the things that you kind of brought up a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, I, I, what is time anymore? But talking about even with all this volume and capacity constraints, maybe we're seeing a little bit more efficiencies within the space. Curious to hear how you feel about that in conjunction with what we're seeing here, especially in the LMI. Yeah, I mean, this tells me, I mean, and Zach, chime in here that we aren't seeing any really supply side relief. Like this is the fact that they're still purchasing. The demand is as strong as it's ever been, if not growing. And we're not seeing any capacity come online either in the warehouse space. (laughs) And they may not even need it almost if they're seeing inventory levels, uh, you know, continue to expand, but yet not stay in the warehouse. Yeah. it could be a lot more fluid. And again, LTL, big part of that because you can ship now parts of shipments instead of truckloads of shipments a lot faster. Uh, another reason that a lot of people have eyes on LTL right now. But, I, you know, Zach, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what would you do here? Like you've got, you see these numbers, they've been, ex- capacity has been contracting, prices have been going up. It's obviously unsustainable for a long period of time. What do you do? You know, if you are, you know, you're reaping the benefits, you're that lumber provider that's making all this money, but you know that this is going to have a tail somewhere. What do you do for long-term investment strategy here? Like, what do you do with all this cash that you're sitting on that you, it's not working for you? Right. Well, and you know, lumber's already down about 50% from where it was in May. So that was, that was, it was a quick bubble for those guys. Although it's about 20% higher, you know, 30 or so percent higher than it was a year ago. And, and and just when people ask me about inflation, just quickly, that's that's what I think the answer is. We're going to see these big peaks and then it'll come back down, but it'll plateau at a level that's where there's still some distance between, you know, now and last year or now and two years ago. Um, but so but so what do you do? What do you do with with that that little bubble? So I would say if I was a warehousing company, you build out, but you build out in a way where you optimize uh, networks for sort of this post-COVID reality. Um, we talked about this last time. Consumers are operating with a post-COVID mindset where everything can be delivered to my house, should be next day, should be cheap, unlimited returns. <laughs> Yet supply chains are very much still sort of pre-COVID. Um, and if you look at just the e-commerce piece, even with e-commerce going up three times faster than normally it would last year, because it was up 40% last year, it's still only about 13.8, 13.9% of retail. By 2025, e-commerce will be 26% of retail. So it will almost double as a percentage of retail in the next five years. We're going to need about 300 billion more square feet of warehousing <laughs> if we're going to deal with that. And it needs to be not just square feet of warehousing anywhere. It's got to be sort of um, in, in urban areas, close to people, because we're going to need to have next day, same day delivery everywhere. And so right now, if you're these these companies, I, I think you kind of have a, a golden opportunity in many ways because cash is so high and, and because, you know, consumer consumer spending is going to go up nine percent this year, which 
is the most it's gone up since 1946 when we were all feeling good about winning World War II. Uh, so it's, it's never it's going up really, really quickly. And so you have this sort of it's almost like this buffer now where you can get some of this cash. And I think you invest immediately back into the infrastructure, knowing that, yes, there's certain bubbles, your lumbers, your toilet papers, your fireworks that are that are just that they're bubbles. Mm-hmm. But the e-commerce piece of it, the retail is fundamentally changing and supply chains need to change with them piece of it. That's that's not a bubble. That's that's a trend. I mean. It's just like that LTL graph you showed a minute ago. I mean, there's noise in there, but the trends are are pretty clear. Right. Um, and so investing in things like LTL, in things like distri- distribution and fulfillment centers that are close to urban areas where you can get next day delivery, that's where I would be. Uh, I would be putting, uh, you know, my my extra capital right now, as well as you know, importantly, in software that can that can deal with that. Um, and that can do things with predictive analytics, with returns uh, routing, because, you know, uh, if, if e-commerce doubles, that means returns are going to go up by by six times because, you know, for every, uh, you know, e-commerce sale, it's three times more likely there will be a return. Um, and so you, you need to sort of put money not only into your forward network, into your reverse network, and also in the in the intelligence you need to sort of sort through all of this. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's a great assessment. I think thinking about what the environment's going to look like after uh, the pandemic, uh, I, I guess we're sort of through the pandemic. I mean, we, we've we kind of moved on as a society in America. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the world hasn't necessarily bought, bought into that yet because they're not, they don't have access to the vaccines and some of the resources that we do here. But, um, you know, I, I guess from a warehousing aspect, that makes sense. Like you, you go out, you invest in an infrastructure that is going to have sustainability to it. Uh, but do you think there's a risk? Like we saw this in trucking in 2018, 2019, where they overspent, they overbought. And there's got to be some level of that uh, available in the warehouse space, which tends to be a little bit more rational uh, or stable. Um, but I think I do think you're right. The, the e-commerce is, is going to be here to stay. But is, is there a risk? For overpurchase of real estate, oh, if that's a thing, of course there always is. There always is some of that, but you know the 2018 example. That's a funny one because that was really a sugar rush that we had. You know, right. we had the giant tax cut, and so all these companies were sort of flush with cash, and you saw the market going up like crazy. Yes, a lot of that was used on on capital investment, but I mean, how much of that Zach was was on stock buybacks <laughs> to, <laughs> to make you know CEO incentives go up? I mean, there was there was sort of this empty calories that we had uh, sort of injected into the market. You compare that to the, the cash injections now that are you know more to on the consumer level. I think that's a big difference. And, and, and I think the, the upward trend you see now is much more based on real sort of fundamental growth in demand uh, and less so just on sort of, you know, a paper cash, right? Or, or, you know, stuff that wasn't even on paper, right? Just imaginary cash. That was sort of injected into the economy like in 2018. And so I would think that this is less of a bubble than that was and and more of sort of a sign of things to come uh, personally. Um, but but you're right. I mean, there's always some some risk there. And that's why I think companies need to be cautious right now um, and and also very strategic in the way they 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 spend their excess capital. I think you absolutely have to optimize your networks for omni channel for e-commerce, for sort of this, this next wave. And it's kind of like you, we're getting a chance to, to, to change quickly 
because of this extra uh, injection of cash that we may not have seen otherwise. Uh, in in some ways, it's almost like the pandemic. Um, you know, it's like you. It's like when you almost get like a a, a timeout at the end. You know, the, I'm watching the the NBA Finals right now. Go Suns. And and at the end of every game, they spend like three minutes reviewing who the ball is out of bounds right. on. And uh, and that's like an extra timeout where you get to sort of gather yourself and figure things out. That's sort of what's happening now with this extra cash injection. We have sort of cash we didn't think we were going to have, and we have a chance to really spend it in in a in an intelligent way. Yeah. Have you heard the term anti-fragility? Anti-fragility. And do you know what it means? Mark Solomon threw this out on our company Slack channel the other day. Just okay. So it means gaining from disorder, uh, which to me kind of sums up what we're seeing in the space right now. Like, I think you're exactly right. The, the idea that we're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to invest <laughs> to, you know, especially for the future. You need to, you can't just sit on this cash. You've got to grow responsibly, um, but you also have the opportunity to capitalize on a lot of this disorder. Like yeah. supply chains are reorganizing. They're not necessarily going to go back to the exact copy of what they were in 2019. They can't. That would be ridiculous, right? <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Because because that's a sort of, like I said, we have to move towards a post-pandemic model. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's interesting, by the way, and, and this ties in a little bit to what we we're talking about. We always break down the LMI into upstream and downstream respondents. Uh, you know, downstream is sort of retailers, anybody who's consumer facing. Upstream would be manufacturers, 3PLs, uh, folks like that. And, and we had a really interesting divergence uh, with warehousing this, this month. So normally, warehousing utilization, warehousing price, you guys are on it with the graphics. Uh, <laughs> uh, warehousing utilization, warehousing price, they sort of move together. But this month, uh, you can see that the orange bars, which are the sort of downstream firms, okay, uh, are looking very different from the upstream firms, which are the blue bars. And, and it's opposite. So Downstream firms are seeing significantly, and this is, I tested it out with some dorky statistical methods earlier, <laughs> uh, statistically faster rates of growth for warehouse prices, whereas downstream firms have uh, significantly higher rates of utilization. Well, that doesn't really, uh, that there's some dissonance there. How does that make sense? Well, what's happening is a lot of the inventory is upstream in the supply chain, right? The, the you know, the cars that are half finished, all these things of Maybe we don't have all the components for whatever's going on. That's upstream. And that's also where a lot of things just generally pool. And so upstream, 3PLs, manufacturers, they're looking for every square inch they can possibly find. Utilization is still high for downstream firms. But really what's getting them is the prices. Because for, for downstream folks, it's that really high price warehousing space they're moving into. So they can get closer to the consumers. And I think... You know, we talked about okay, how do we how do we strategize? How do you uh, spend your your capacity to build your network? Partly, it depends on if you're an upstream firm or a downstream firm. If you're downstream, clearly all of your issues right now are are with delivery and getting close to consumers. Upstream, it's it's just an overall capacity issue, and how do we get things to move forward more quickly? I think, by the way, this also extends down to um, this also extends down to transportation. Our other significant difference we had uh, we had this this month was transportation capacity going down really quickly for both upstream and downstream firms, but like very very quickly for upstream firms. A twenty eight would be one of the lowest scores we've ever had in the index if we split this off by itself. And so you really see upstream firms 
struggling with capacity, whereas I think we're seeing downstream firms struggle a little more with with cost. Oh, that's great. Dude, that is a fantastic call out. Anthony, that's your flatbed tender rejection index right there. All day. The upstream, uh, you know, the industrial sector came online really quickly uh, here in the last few months. So yeah, seeing seeing some of these numbers, especially divided into upstream and downstream, is fantastic. The uh, the way that you know twenty eight twenty eight point three percent, like compared to the thirty nine point four, both very strong you know contractions. But it's uh, I like to see it put down like that because it's a very bifurcated recovery process. Yeah. Uh, and also the the warehousing utilization, the way that you put it in the way that like if you think in terms of real estate. Uh, the upstream, the downstream folk are getting closer to the cities and the population. So there's going to be high real estate value, especially with this housing market. Um, you know, there's not typically a lot of low rent areas around where people live. Uh, and then you have the the upstream people who are getting these DCs sitting in these, you know, desolate areas that are old manufacturing sectors, or maybe they're out in the country somewhere. They're not necessarily feeling it as much. I think that's a pretty strong call out there on all, you can almost see it like unfolded as a data geek. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, I, I, yeah, that, that I love what you got going on here. It's amazing. And yeah. one of the things I definitely have a question for Zach on is kind of talking about Minch early, earlier he mentioned um, really being able to utilize warehouses and how that's going to kind of change moving forward. More warehouse spaces are going to be needed as e-commerce continues to expand and grow and grow and grow. One of the things I'm also interested in is those changes in the warehouses. So, Zach, you mentioned, of course, more technology entering the space, driving in driving efficiencies. Um, curious on if you think there's going to be any kind of changes, maybe smaller warehouses, but more, oh, yeah. you know, densely populated areas or in just kind of more um, spread out or maybe these still huge warehouse hubs with just kind of massive amounts of technology, of course, surging through them. Or, you know, do you, do you think there's going to be a difference between the two or a way that warehouses are going to be going for this e-commerce trend? I think it's all of the above. You know, if you're Amazon, you can afford to just open up 100 fulfillment centers in a year with thousands of robots in every one. And just, you know, you're worth trillions and trillions of dollars. I mean, right now, you're mostly thinking about how we get to space. I mean, you, you have so much <laughs> money, you, you don't even care, right? It doesn't matter. But if you're smaller... Then I, I do think what you're saying, Anthony, this idea of micro fulfillment, that makes sense where, OK, we need to be in, in big cities, but we maybe don't need to have necessarily a giant hub everywhere we go. Maybe there's there's not space. Maybe if there is space, we can't afford it. And so I think that you're going to see more sort of micro distribution networks because really we're moving away from efficiency to convenience and customer service. The days of having three big warehouses, you know, one in Atlanta, one in Pennsylvania, one in Nevada, maybe one in Kansas City. Th- those those are gone, right? So we have to move to this this new model where it's smaller stuff. And also I I think we'll see something where everything becomes more dynamic. You know, and, and we're utilizing sharing platforms, for instance. I mean, you can have something like Flex where which Walmart uses, right? Right before Q4, Walmart gets like hundred thousands of, of square feet of uh, extra space from flex just to position toys all over the place uh, close closer to consumers. Ace Hardware does the same thing in hurricane season. They get a whole bunch of um, of space 
close to where there's going to be hurricanes and they put, you know, uh, generators and sandbags and stuff like that. And then when hurricane season's over, which, you know, sometimes we don't always know when hurricane season's over, but when we're pretty sure it's over, they can then pull that back. And so I, I think not only, Anthony, will there be smaller uh, sort of more targeted warehousing options, there will also be more dynamic ones where you can push things out using sort of shared sort of an Airbnb style uh, warehouse model and then pull them back when you don't need it. Uh, because, you know, if you just have something sitting there and say you're, you have somewhat seasonal sales, OK, it might make sense to be in downtown Chicago, October, November, December. But then do you need to really be there in February and March? P possibly no. And so if you have the ability to pull that back, I think that's going to be one of the other pieces uh, that we see here as we optimize networks for this sort of new model of demand. That's for sure. <laughs> so I want we only have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that we give you a chance to voice your incorrect opinion on the night swift buying Triple <laughs> Cooper, uh, or you know just your opinion. Why do you think? Uh, you know, I, I I'd love to hear your perspective on this. So why so you think LPL? Right. I mean everything we just talked about. Mm -hmm. LTL is where there's going to be real growth, I think, in the next five years, however many years. Right. We have like everything we were just saying, it, it's not about efficiency as much as it is about customer service. And yeah, you're right. It, is that a different ballgame for night in some ways? Possibly, yes. But you know, you get the asset and then you figure out what to do with it later. I, I think you can't let perfect be the enemy of the good with something like this. Does it fit us perfectly? No, but will it be helpful? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? We'll we'll put them together, and we'll uh, we'll we'll figure it out later. Essentially. Um, so that's that's sort of the model. You know, it's like, hey, James Harden and Kyrie Irving, they both feel like they need the ball all the time. Yeah. You know what? Let's just have both anyway, though, and and <laughs> and we'll figure it out. And if they could stay healthy, that probably would be nice. But so that's that's sort of the model I I would go with, and I wouldn't let things. And and look, everything that you raised is a totally valid and I think correct point but i think you're if you're getting too much into the little operational pieces of it i don't think you want to let the small picture get in the way of the big picture that that that's my opinion on it no i i think that's fair i i you know I, I wasn't necessarily saying this was a bad decision i was just saying that you know obviously from a financial perspective it makes total sense like I, it's right. a home run like uh, yeah we're diversifying our asset base uh, we're exposing ourselves to a totally different customer base, uh, you know, and a different market altogether. And like you said, I believe LTL is definitely going to go into a an extended growth period. They tend to have much smoother. They don't have these bubbles like Truckload has uh, every single year, uh, you know, around July 4th, what we just saw and uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, but they do have their ebbs and flows. And I think that they kind of move and lag or maybe even in front of Truckload a little bit. Um, at times, depending on the environment. So I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a bad move. I just think that some of the points, and I was definitely being a little bit more granular than, uh, than I needed to. I mean, if I'm sitting at the top of the, uh, the board there and approving this, I'm okay with it. I, I'm saying I, yes, I'm approving I know you data boys can't help it. It just, it yeah. just burns inside you. You got to talk, talk about the metrics. Can I yeah. say one more thing, by the way, before we get to uh, trivia or memes or whatever we're doing last <laughs> um, we uh, we also ask our respondents about future predictions. So we mm. say, hey, next 12 months, where's everything going to go? <clears throat> and this month, both the future predictions for available warehouse capacity and available transportation capacity were up 10 points from where they were last month. OK, and transportation capacity, that's important in particular, because 
our respondents had been projecting continued contraction in transportation. Now, not saying we're not adding trucks, but just we're not going to add enough trucks to keep up for like the last six months. Now, both of those are positive. Both, both warehouse capacity and transportation capacity are 10 points up from where they were before. And costs have gone down a little bit. I mean, 80s are still high costs for all three of those metrics. <clears throat> but they're not high 80s and they're not 90s uh, like they have been. And so I think, you know, we, uh, we built 210,000, you know, sort of trailers, trucks last year. And we'll probably be able to build 250,000 this year, maybe 300,000 in 2023, 2022. We're, we're getting out of uh, the hole, right? Production is ramping up. Uh, now, whether we'll have people to drive those trucks, that's another <laughs> question. Uh, right. But but production is is ramping up everywhere. And so I do think you sort of see the machine is turned on. And right now we're in sort of this, this weird place where we know where we need to go. It's just going to take us a while to get there. But these future predictions are the first signs that we've seen here at, at LMI headquarters in my, my office at home. Uh, that that we are starting to that we are starting to move in that direction. Yeah, I think that's that's a good sign. That's a good point. A good thing to uh, to wrap the LMI on deck. Let's uh, let's hear where people can get in touch with you before we do our debate. Yeah. So um, uh, send me an, a note uh, if you'd like to be part of the the LMI. Zach Z A C dot Rogers R O G E R S at Colo C O L O State dot edu. You can also see the LMI at the dash lmi.com you can see all of our old reports they're all up there for free and uh and you can take the survey as well if you feel like you would be uh someone who could contribute to the survey very awesome stuff well thank you so much do you want to hang out for the debate oh yeah this, is, my well. this, this is why i come yeah this is this is why it as well be it so let's do it Betonomics. um so 20 percent of houses are supposedly owned by investment firms at this current juncture Mm -hmm. uh, contributing to the housing bubble boom, whatever you want to call it. Do you think investment firms purchasing houses is good for the sector and the economy? Dr. Zach, I'll let you go. Um, no, not really. really. (laughs) It's good for investment firms, but Uh you know, I mean, a house, a house where I live, when I moved here five years ago, I think the average price was like three seventy five. Now it's like five ten in the city I live in. And, you know, you, you go to buy houses and, and it's like, well, you know, we also have an all cash offer for a five hundred thousand dollar house. I literally had a lady ask me when we were touring houses a couple of years ago. She's like, "Well, do you do you do you pay in cash?" And I was like, "You know, lady, I, I I'm a public school teacher, not a drug dealer. I don't have five hundred thousand in cash, so no. So I, you know, I I understand what the play is, and if you are the investment company, it's about one of the safest assets you can get. So I get it, but. Nice. For the average, I mean, yeah. Anthony needs a house. We got to get Anthony out of that tiny little apartment. At some point. I agree with you, real quick, Anthony. <laughs> what was your? What do you think? No, not good. Not good. So not we good. all agree. No so there's no debate. Good because no we're out of time anyway. Like I said, good for the investment <laughs> yeah. firms. Yeah, good for them. Thanks, Doctor Z, and thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Drink more water.